Good morning, everyone. Today, we'll continue in our series that we are calling Reality Remastered, where we're, we take past series that we've gone, we've gone through that have been really formative in the life of our church and remaster them by doing a like one teaching deep dive and then uh, a series of podcasts throughout the week. We've done biblical literacy. Uh, last week, we did identity. And this week, we are talking about emotionally healthy spirituality, everyone's favorite topic. Um, we first taught on this series six years ago in something we called Emo Church, uh, tongue-in-cheek, obviously. And last year, we did a series on emotionally healthy relationships. Both you can find on our website. The main premise of this series uh, is this. Pete Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now, because we taught on this subject a year ago, I want to go about this morning a little bit differently. I want to break up this sermon in two short parts. Part one, what your emotions tell you about you, and part two, what Christ's emotions tell you about him, and actually how that um, and how he feels about you with regards to his emotions. So I'll read this text from Matthew uh, chapter 11, as we'll eventually get there in our, in our time. But let me, let me read these words of Christ and pray. The words of Christ, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord, let's pray. God, thank you that you, you offer to us the invitation to come to you with burden, with heaviness, with sorrow, with pain, with all that we are carrying right now for all sorts of different reasons. There is a collective just groaning going on right now. There's infighting happening all over the internet. There are people that don't agree, and there's people that think they know what, what we're doing, what, what to do in the future. We have systemic issues like racism in our, in our country. Lord, with all of these things, we're burdened and weighed down with a lot of sorrow, and we pray right now that all of us collectively would be able to come to you with all of our emotions and find rest for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. What I've found in following Jesus and pastoring people in following Jesus is that one of the most neglected parts of the Christian life is the discipleship of our emotions or the the spiritual formation of our emotions. See, for most of us, we are afraid to feel, to feel deeply, that is. Like, we're afraid to feel deeply. Many of us know how to feel like anger and lust. Those are easy and very accessible surface emotions. But to go underneath the surface of those emotions, to go down deep under the anger to get to the fear, to go down under the lust to get to the longings, the anguish, the angst, that is not something we're versed in. We're not, it's not easily done. And of course, the reason why is our, our feelings are either too painful, it's too painful to go down to those feelings, or honestly, it's just too time-consuming. We don't have time for an emotional breakdown. We don't have time to, we, we have to like join our community group on Zoom after dinner or we have to take care of the kids or we have to jump on that conference call at work. Whatever it is, we don't have time 
to feel our feelings all the way down. When we actually do have time, we don't have the energy. Can I get a witness? Anyone? It takes work. Like going down deep takes work. And a lot of us are afraid of what's down there. What are my emotions revealing about my relationship with my friends or my, my work or my spouse or God? That's, that's, those are too, uh, too much. We don't even want to think about that. It's way too scary to think like that. See, the reason many of us don't want to feel deeply is that feeling exposes the tragedy of our world and the darkness of our hearts. Feeling oftentimes exposes the tragedy of our world and the darkness of our hearts. This past week was an example of that. With the killing of George Floyd, how much emotion came up? How much emotion came up for you? And when did it all come up? Probably in the middle of the day when you actually went to the news or at the end of the day after you had a full week, a full day of work or full life. And then wham, you were hit all over again with the reality of the darkness of our world, the tragedy, the systemic evil, all of it all at once. And what was down there? When you went down into your emotions this last week, what was down in the heart, in your heart at that moment? I kept on hearing over and over again the refrain of, I'm tired, especially from people of color in our community. We're tired, they said. And one, one reason why they're tired is they're tired of being reminded of the world in which they live and the way that it views black bodies. They're tired of the racism. They're tired of having to feel like this. But I also heard this from dominant culture as well. They were tired too. Many in dominant culture don't want to feel either because feelings with regard to killings like this that have been popping up all over, all over our newsfeed expose the illusion that life is safe and good and predictable, exposes that as an illusion. That's actually, actually not true. So you can have this really comfortable, good life and your day can go well and you turn on the news and you get hit with this reality. Oh my gosh, life is not that safe or predictable or good. I mean, have you really even stopped to ask yourself how you feel during this pandemic? That's hard to do. Like, how are you real? You know, so I joke with a few friends. We I'll call someone, how are you doing? Like, don't ask that question. Stop asking that question, how am I doing? I have to go down too deep. I'd much rather just ask me what I had for lunch. That's way easier of a question. What'd you have for lunch? Oh, I just had Panda Express. Like, every single day, like, I have, whatever. Like, that's way more easy to do than what... How are you doing? I don't know. I don't, want to ask, I don't want to answer that question. That's hard to get down, down, down deep. How am I doing? Because those feelings expose the illusion that life is safe and good and predictable. Those are illusions. It's hard to feel, it's hard to feel and it's hard to be honest with what we feel because when we feel, we feel the feeling more. This is true. To feel hurt, to actually let yourself feel hurt, hurts. To feel shame, shames. To allow yourself to feel any loss only intensifies the sorrow. So when you feel at a loss, to feel, to actually feel the loss, to sit with the loss actually intensifies the feeling of sorrow. Anyone who's lost a loved one knows this. So we would much rather choose to forget or distract or numb. However, to show you the complexity of our inner worlds, we also don't like to feel good feelings either. That's also true. 
Most of us are afraid of feeling hope or joy. We don't like those. We, we only allow ourselves a little bit of hope or a little bit of joy. We don't want to let those feelings all the way in like a kid does, like my daughter Juniper does. Like she, when she has hope, she dives all the way into hope. Just ask her after dinner if she wants ice cream. Like all of the hope, like her face, yes, I want all the ice cream. I want it all. The joy. We don't let, we don't let those feelings all the way in. Why? When life is delightful, why is it so hard to be happy? And the reason is because as adults, we know that joy is fleeting and it's brief and we haven't looked at our phone in like three hours and we have no idea what's going to meet us on the news. See, for most mature adults, pleasure holds within it a painful incompleteness because its appearance only deepens our desire for more. So when we have that joy, we know this joy won't last. We know the meal will end. We know the, the, our love of the heat and the sun on Monday and Tuesday in San Francisco is gonna be followed by Carl the Fog coming back with a vengeance. We know that's true. So we enjoy it, but we don't really enjoy it. And so the reason why it's so difficult to feel our feelings is that all emotion, good or bad, positive or negative, opens the door to the nature of reality. Everything we feel, good or bad, when we feel our feelings all the way down, good feelings or bad feelings, it actually opens the door to the nature of reality. That is, in this life, on this side of heaven, all good things are fleeting and all bad things expose the illusion that life is safe. Sorry if I got super Ecclesiastes on you, but that's just the truth, right? This is the truth. I'm speaking truth right now, whether you like it or not. And so all of us prefer to avoid pain, but even more, most of us want to escape reality, which is why Netflix and Instagram are the digital narcotics of our day. Help me escape reality. I don't want to deal with life as it is. I don't want to deal with the feelings as I feel them, I would much rather numb out. Now, one of the, my favorite books on this subject is from Dan Allender and Tremper Longman called The Cry of the Soul. In that book, they write this, ignoring our, emo ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We strain out anything disturbing in order to gain tenuous control of our inner world. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. So how should we see our emotions? How can we start to feel them, to let them in, to explore their depths? I want to invite you to start seeing your emotions as a doorway. A doorway into a place. It could be a monastery, a rose garden, a sanctuary, whatever mental picture actually brings you uh, comfort. See your emotions as a doorway where you can meet with God.
See, we typically, we typically think emotions are bad or emotions are everything. See, when, for those people that have grown up in a generation, like I think kind of like I've grown up a little bit, is emotions are bad. So when we start to feel emotional, we shut them off. We go to our mind and we, we, we start to think, what am I supposed to believe right now? We go to theology even, and that's a, those are good things. What am I supposed to believe right now? What are the truths I'm supposed to speak to myself? And that is all good and right and good. That's, I'm not saying that's bad. But the result is we're afraid to feel. We're afraid to follow those feelings down. And so we choose instead to tell ourselves something else. Now, should lies be rejected? Absolutely lies should be rejected. But when we start to feel, sometimes we start using those same mechanisms to avoid, to, to avoid true feelings, to avoid going down to our feelings and meeting God in reality. We would much rather stay on the surface sometimes of like, well, I'll just, I'll tell myself this Bible verse and that's it. And then I'll just deal with it and I'll just believe something better. That often doesn't work. Or some people just believe emotions are everything. You have grown up in a, in a world where, it's, where the world tells you to speak your truth, to you, for you to do you, to follow your feelings like some GPS device. And the result here is we don't know why we feel. So we're following our emotions, we're following all our feelings and all this stuff. And like, this is what I feel, what I feel like I want to do, I do. And we do that, but we don't know why we feel. What, what's, good, what's going on down there? Why is it that you are addicted to X, Y, and Z? Why is it that you do this over and over again to cope? And we don't even know why. Now, I want to posit to you, emotions are actually a doorway that leads you into a relationship with God. Emotions are a place where you can actually, you can follow them to a place where you can meet God in reality. We know this from the book of Psalms. Over and over again, the Psalms ask in different ways, why, O oh my soul, are you in despair? Why, oh my soul, are you downcast? It basically asks that refrain over and over again in different ways. It actually, the, the Psalms go down to all the anger, all the pain, all the vengeance, all the fear, and they go down and they meet God in that reality. The Psalms are places where people are trying to meet God in reality, in what they are feeling, in what they are experiencing. Now remember, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. And reality is where we meet with God. Now, you may be thinking, my emotions are true, Dave, but I can't, uh, I can't trust my feelings. My feelings are up and down, and you are 100% correct. You may even be quoting that verse to me right now. You may actually be typing this into the chat. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We can't follow our emotions. We can't follow our heart. If we do that, we're in trouble. Here's the thing about that. That's a very true verse. But this is what this verse is not saying. The verse is not saying that your heart is irredeemable. Because Jeremiah actually promises later on that you get a new heart. God promises a new heart. And what this verse isn't saying that emotions are a result of the fall, so all emotions are bad. Because Jesus, the perfect full human, had a ton of emotion. We'll learn this in a second. I guess when we look at this verse, I'm not asking you to trust your feelings or to go with your feelings I'm asking you to follow your feelings to a place where you meet God. There's a difference. I'm not saying follow your feelings and make a decision. I'm saying follow your feelings all the way down to where you can meet God in the depth of your emotion. So go beyond anger into fear and go into fear and let God meet you there. Go beyond your lust. That's something we don't do. What if God wants to meet you in your lust? Have you thought of that? Going into your lust all the way down to your longings and allowing God to meet you there. For, 
for me, in my, in my story, um, this has been a, a painful journey for me personally. There was a season of my life where um, Ashley was dealing with um, something that we, I, Ashley and I have talked about publicly for a long time. Um, Ashley was dealing with uh, overcoming an eating disorder, but she was actually not doing that well. This was several years ago, many years ago. And I completely shut off emotionally. I shut off from God emotionally. I shut off from Ashley emotionally. I actually thought that if I can remove myself from my emotions, um, then I actually won't feel anymore. I won't feel bad anymore. I won't feel angry anymore. And I, 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 during this time, I was meeting with a, um, my therapist, who is a follower of Jesus. And he kept telling me to get angry. He's like, I want you to get angry. I'm not, I'm not going to get angry. I'm too afraid of getting angry. My, my, my family of origin, anger was like the root sin. I'm not getting angry. He's like, I want you to get angry. I want you to get angry. And he was asking me to get all the way down into my anger, beyond anger, into fear, and in my fear, meet with God. And I eventually, it took, it took a process, a long process to do this, but I eventually I got all the way down to what I feared the most through my anger, and I met with God there. And then from that place, in my fears, meeting with God, he brought me up out of that place. So, and this didn't happen overnight. This was months and months and months and actually years to a place where I was able to face in my anger, my deepest root fear. And God met me there. And in that fear, it was like, if you don't get that, are you going to be okay? If you don't, if you don't get what you, what, you, what you ultimately want, are, 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 you, are you still going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? See, many of you, even right now, I know we have a lot of overthinkers and problem solvers at our church. Right now, you might be thinking that I might actually have shown you um, uh, like, you know, how to start addressing your, your feelings. And so when you see a problem, you get some information surrounding that problem and you get to work solving that problem. You might be doing that right now. You maybe actually already have a list in your notes. Okay, action plan. Uh, call a therapist that you haven't seen in a minute. Start a journal. Read that one book on emotions that you bought last year but you haven't read yet. Like you're already thinking about what you're gonna be doing right now. Like, okay, I know how to, I'm gonna tackle my emotions. Dave just gave me a thing, took a year, I could do it in a week, like whatever. But, but struggling with emotions is not a matter of solving problems. We are not machines that can be repaired through a series of diagnostics. We are relational beings who can only be transformed by relationships. We need community. Yeah, that's, that's a huge part of this. Relationships, yes, yes, yes. But let's be honest. Most of us are a lot, like a lot, a lot. And our emotions are up and down, intense and aloof, engaged and disengaged. And we bring ourselves into a marriage or into a relationship or into a friendship or into a community. And we, we are a lot to handle. We know we are. I know I am. Who can handle all these conflicting desires and emotions and not be worn down by them all and who can actually lead me into the way of transformation? And the answer is only God. The God who made you, who knows you, who is not afraid to go there with you, to take all of your questions and all of your angers and your fears and meet you there. Which brings me to point two. What's Christ's, what does Christ's emotions tell us about him? And what does it tell us about how he feels about us? And this is what brings us to Matthew chapter 11. Throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with all the teachings and all the travelings and all the healings of Jesus, in all 89 chapters of the story of Jesus in the Gospels, there is only one place where Jesus himself tells us about his heart, 
and how he feels toward us. Only one place. And it's right here in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here it is. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, in Jesus' fashion, most of these words are about who we are. But right in the middle, Jesus reveals his very heart. The only place we get something like this. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When Jesus chooses to let us in on who he is, how he feels toward us, when he reveals his heart, which in the biblical language is is emotions, but way beyond emotions, actually the very core of a person, he says, I am gentle and humble. Now, this is good news. When Jesus pulls back the curtain to allow us in to see his very heart, we are not told he is stern and demanding in heart, or he's not even joyful and generous in heart. He's gentle and humble in heart. Now, what does that teach us about who Jesus is and how he feels toward us? The word gentle here means he's not harsh. Jesus is meek. He's not reactionary. He's gentle. He's not ever annoyed. He's the most understanding person who's ever lived. He lives forever with the scars that tell the story of his posture towards you all the time. The scars are right here in his hand, and it was when he was on a cross like this. This is his posture towards the world all the time, open. The word humble is similar to the word gentle, but means that Jesus is accessible, meaning we have access to him. He is the most accessible person who's ever lived. For all his glory and all his supremacy and all his splendor, he is humble, lowly, and approachable. There is nothing you have to do. There is no hoops you have to jump through to get to him. The only minimum to be gathered in his arms is simply that you open yourself up to him. And that's all that Jesus needs. You don't even need to unburden yourself from all your big emotions you have stuffed down. You don't have to fix yourself or even collect yourself. For Jesus, it's your burden that qualifies you to come to him. Weary and burden may describe you right now. You may be weighed down by our, our global, uh, the, the, the injustice of our world, the systemic evil of our world, even um, how there's invisible viruses that can completely destroy vulnerable people in our world. You may be burdened and weary, and that might be, that would be the best way to describe yourself right now, but that's actually how you get in to see Jesus. That actually grants you access. That's how he wants you to come to him with your burden and your weariness. And that's proven throughout his ministry. He's always going to the weary and the burdened. Even when they didn't have the strength to get to him, Jesus goes after them and he's after you. This is who Jesus is. Now there's a doctrine in the area of Christology that's difficult for people to grasp. And it's the doctrine of the permanent humanity of Christ, which states that God, the Son of God, clothed himself with humanity and will never unclothe himself. He became a man and he will always be a man. Now, that right there, you're like, wait, what? 
I thought he's ascended to heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God. He, he is. Actually, the, the whole point of the ascension is that he went into heaven with the very body reflecting his full humanity that was raised out of the tomb. He went there. He's sitting at the right hand of God right now with, with nails in his hands. He, when, he, when, when God clothed himself with humanity, he never and never will unclothe himself. He is forever man. Always God, but forever man. And in heaven, he still bears the scars of the cross. And I want to end here because this one very vital implication of this truth of Christ's permanent humanity is that when we see the feelings and the passions and the affection of the incarnate Jesus toward burdened sinners and sufferers in the gospel, we are not seeing who Jesus was. We are actually seeing who Jesus is right now for us today. This is who Jesus is. Someone who is so open to take burdened, weary people with all of our emotions, with all of our stuff. And he is the same Jesus that has emotions toward us, that has feelings towards us, that desires to take our feelings, to take our emotions and take them all the way down and meet us there in the reality of our pain right now. That's who he is. And so as you move into a time of prayer and response and worship, I want to sit with that reality. This is who Jesus is. Come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, this is who you are, God. And we need you now. With all the things that have us weighed down, with all the things that have us entangled, all the conflicting emotions that we can't even undo ourselves, that no therapist, no matter how good can even undo, can even know the depths of our feelings or emotions, you do, God. And you see them now. And we come to you as broken people, as burdened people, as tired people. Give us rest and meet us in the reality of our emotions. In Jesus' name, amen.